Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you today. Uh, I appreciate our worship team. Do you appreciate them? And uh, I want you to know that I love worshiping God with you. And that service meant a ton to me. I'm, I'm so glad. I appreciate what uh, God uh, did in my own heart in those just last few minutes. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, let me tell you what we're doing. We're studying the Bible in an effort to get to know a man named David. This is the sixth sermon in this series, and uh, here's what we've learned about David so far. I'm just going to catch you up so you don't feel lost, okay? Uh, God had chosen David to be Israel's second king. Now Saul, Israel's first king, was on his way out, and God was in the process of replacing him with David. Now, from the outside looking in, uh, I don't think anybody would have ever guessed that David was going to be Israel's next king. Uh, There was just not anything about David that made him appear kingly. Is that a word? He just didn't look kingly. Uh, He was uh, not a descendant of Saul, so he wasn't in line for the throne. He was raised in poverty. He spent the first portion of his life in relative obscurity. I mean, after all, he spent most of his time alone out in the fields with his father's flock. Nobody really knew David. For God's choice to become the obvious choice, God was going to have to help people get to know David. So one day, God sent David to the Valley of Elah. Now, David assumed he was simply running an errand for his dad. Little did he know that on that day, his life was going to change forever. On that pivotal day, David killed a giant named Goliath. And the next thing you knew, David was a national celebrity. This nobody quickly became a somebody. And David had to say goodbye to obscurity and hello to notoriety. He had to say goodbye to anonymity and hello to fame. David was now well on his way down the path that would take him to a throne. Now, on the day that David killed Goliath, people took notice. And one of those people was the reigning king, Saul. And when he saw what David did, he wanted to know David better. So he had somebody bring David over. And he began to bombard David with questions. And after David spoke with Saul, David was introduced to Saul's son, Jonathan. And immediately, there was a connection between Jonathan and David. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses the word bond. Uh, you know, and so after this conversation, Saul didn't let David go back home. He hired him, made him a part of his staff. And as you can imagine, as David and Jonathan spent more and more time together, they became the best of friends. Now, this is found in 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20 is what we're looking at here today. I want you to know I'm not just making this up. This is not coming right off the top of my head. I'm talking to you from the Bible. Now, Jonathan recognized something about David before anybody else did. He recognized that I think God has chosen David to be the next king of Israel. 
Now, Jonathan was the one who was in line to take the throne next. But he recognized, that's not for me. That's for David. And he made, the Bible says, a solemn pact with David. It was a type of covenant or agreement. And I, and I tell you what I think that he uh, agreed to. And that is, even though I'm in line for the throne I think you're destined for the throne, and I'm not going to contend with you for the throne. I'm going to actually help you become the next king, David. And he, he sealed this pact by giving David his uh, robe, his belt with the scabbard, sword, and his bow, which symbolically was stating this, I'm surrendering my right to the throne to you. Now, the second person who figured it out, and realized David's supposed to be the next king, was Saul. And everything David did, he succeeded at. It was obvious that God's hand was on David's life. The nation was falling in love with him, and Saul put two and two together and realized, that's the guy that God has chosen to replace me. And his reaction was completely different from that of Jonathan. Uh, He became a lifelong enemy to David. And he made it his life's work to make sure that David never got on the throne. And Tim talked with you about that last week. As a matter of fact, Saul was so serious about this, uh, one day he tried to kill David twice with a spear. And both times David eluded the spear. I think David must have been some athletic guy. I mean, he was nimble. He was agile. He avoided the spear and Saul came up with some ideas that, you know, maybe if, if I'm, since I've been unable to kill him, maybe I could put him in some dangerous situations where perhaps nature would take his course and he would be killed. One of those never materialized. One of them just didn't work. As a matter of fact, it backfired on Saul and made David more of a hero. And so Saul came up with this idea, I'll have him assassinated. And so I want us to read about that, and I want us to read from 1 Samuel 19, verse 1 through 6. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. Remember, Jonathan's made this pact. He and David are close friends. Look what happened. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. Now look at this. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought about a great victory to all Israel? As a result, you were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. Look at this. So Saul listened to Jonathan. And he vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So they canceled the assassination attempt. Now here's what I want you to see. With Jonathan's help, David's life was spared. He lived to see another day. And continue going down the path that was taking him to a throne. Now, after this, Jonathan went to tell David, here's how it went down. 
everything's good. You can come back to the office and, and pick up where you left off. And so David reports to work. And, and then even though Saul made this promise, he got in a bad frame of mind one day and he decided, nope, 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 going to kill him. Picks up his ear, tries to kill David a third time. David escapes again. And so Saul reverts back and he's like, you know what? I think the assassination idea was the right idea. Let's try that again. And so we're going to read about this second assassination attempt. It's found in, in, in verses 11 and 12. But let me tell you this. At this point in time, David has married Saul's daughter, Michael, which means now Saul is David's father-in-law. And so here's the other assassination attempt. Verse 11 says, then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him. So somebody tipped her off. And so now she's sharing this warning with David. If you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window and he fled and escaped. Now, what do I want you to see there? I want you to see this. With Michael's help, David's life was spared. He lived to see another day. And he was able to continue down the path that was taking him to the throne. Now, where did David go? David escaped to Ramah, and he went there to visit with his spiritual mentor, uh, Samuel. I guess you could say he went to talk to his preacher. Look at this, verse number 18, 1 Samuel 19, 18. So David escaped and went to Ramah to see Samuel, and he told him all the solid name. I imagine it's like somebody pouring their heart out to their pastor in a time of crisis. You're not going to believe what the guy did. Three times Samuel, he threw his spirit at me, and he, he conspired against me to have me killed more than once, and he's thrown me to the wolves, and I can just hear him telling Samuel all this. And what did Samuel do? Look at this. And Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. You see how Samuel reacted? Samuel said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take you in. I'll give you a place to stay. I'm going to make sure you've got a roof over your head, meals. And I think most of all, he provided David with a safe place. Four times while David was staying with Samuel, uh, Saul tried to take David's life. What do I want you to see? Mm, through Samuel's help, David's life was spared. He lived to see another day. And he was able to proceed down the path that was taking him to the throne. Now, when David finally left Naoth, he goes to find Jonathan. And he's got a question for Jonathan. He said, why is your father so determined to have me killed? And Jonathan said, well, I don't think he is. He hasn't said a word to me. I'm his son. He talks to me about everything, even the little things. And dad hasn't mentioned one time that he wants to kill you. David said, let me tell you something. He knows about our friendship. He knows about our relationship. He's not dumb enough to tell you because he knows you wouldn't tell me. But I swear to you, I'm a step away from death. That's the way David said it. Jonathan recognized the fear in David's words. And he asked him a question. He said, how can I help you? David said, here's what's about to happen. We're about to have the big new moon festival here. And I've always attended it with your dad. And, and we always have an evening meal together. Well, I'm not coming this year because I think that's when he's going to kill me. Jonathan, you're going to go to the dinner. And your dad is going to ask, where's David? And here's the way you're going to answer it. You're going to say, David asked for some time off so that he could go back to Jerusalem and take care of family business. He said, if Saul looks at you and goes, okay, then you know I was mistaken. He said, if your dad flies into a rage, you know that he intended to kill me. 
Jonathan said, I'll do that. David said, well, how am I going to know? How am I going to know what happens? Jonathan said, I got an idea. There's a place on the end of the field behind a, a pile of rock. And David, you've hidden there before. I want you to go hide there again. You give me about 48 hours. And I'm going to come to that field with my bow and some arrows and a kid. And I'm going to shoot some arrows in the direction of that stone pile. And I'm going to send the kid to get those arrows. And I'm going to yell one of two things. I'm either going to yell, you've gone too far, you've gone too far. The arrows are behind you, come back. Which is a signal to you that the coast is clear, everything's cool, come on back. Or you're going to hear me go, go further. Go further. The arrows are beyond you. He said, that means you're in grave danger. And you need to flee for your life. David said, got it. So Jonathan goes to the dinner. David's seat is empty. Saul notices, but it really didn't think much about it on the first night. Second night, David's seat's empty. David looked at Jonathan and said, where's your buddy? Excuse me, Saul looks at Jonathan and said, uh, where's your buddy David? And Jonathan said, well, he, he asked for some time off because he had family business. Saul blew into a rage. As a matter of fact, he cussed his own son, Jonathan. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm not going to tell you what it was. You can look it up for yourself. But he cussed him. And he said, I know what you're doing. You know, you want David to be the king instead of you. And then he said to his own son, you're a major embarrassment to your mother and I. Oh, that'll bless your heart, won't it? He said, you go get David and bring him to me so that I can kill him. Jonathan begins to plead for David's life. And the more that he pled with Saul, the more angry he became. And the next thing you know, Saul grabs a spear and he tried to kill his own son. Jonathan jumped up and left. He was angry, the Bible said. He was embarrassed at his father's behavior. But the Bible said, and use this word in the New Living Translation, said that Jonathan was crushed. Crushed. You know why? I think you know why. Jonathan knew that he was about to lose the best friend he ever had. I can't imagine the emotional torment that Jonathan was going through as he went to get his bow and his quiver. He tapped some kid on the shoulder and said, come with me. I need your help. He goes to the edge of that field, he shoots a few arrows, and he tells that kid, go get those arrows. I'm sure David was aware of their presence. He's waiting. And he hears Jonathan say, the arrows are beyond you. Go further. Go further. I can't imagine. I just got to believe that at that moment, David collapsed in tears, realizing what he was losing. He was losing his best friend. The kid gets the arrows, comes back. Jonathan says, take all this stuff back to my house. I'll be on in a minute. He walks out to the pile of rock, and David comes out of hiding. And the Bible said, these two 
great warriors broke down and wept bitterly. And the Bible said David wept more than Jonathan. You know why? You know why. He recognized all this man had done for him. The sacrifices he had made. The risk he had taken. For me, David said. For me. And the two went their separate ways. They said goodbye and they went their separate ways. I want you to notice this. David's life was once again spared. Because Jonathan helped him. He lived to see another day. And keep going down the path that was leading him to the throne. Now, what's the lesson in this story? Everybody needs somebody. I I hate to cry in front of people. Everybody needs somebody and somebody needs you. God had a plan for David's life, but in order for this plan to be fulfilled, David had to keep following the path that led to the throne. It wasn't going to happen overnight. He had to keep following that path. He had to keep going even when it wouldn't be easy to keep going. David had to survive and David had to persevere. Thanks to Saul, there were times when David could have been killed, but he wasn't. And thanks to Saul, there were times when David could have easily given up, but he didn't. He kept going. He stayed true to the path God had chosen for him. And that was quite an accomplishment when you consider that his adversary was a king with an entire army at his disposal. How did he do it? How was David able to survive Saul's relentless attacks? You ready? People helped David. People helped David. At critical junctures along David's journey to the throne, people stepped in and they helped him survive. They helped him keep going. People like Jonathan, Michael, and Samuel. David needed people. And so do we. We've got a couple of things in common with old David. Uh, first of all, God has a great plan for our life. Now, he may not have uh, chosen you to be a king Uh, And you may not be destined for a throne, but I promise you God has a great plan for your life, an awesome tailor-made plan for your life. And for that plan to be fulfilled, you've got to follow God perseveringly. Second thing we've got in common with David is we've got a relentless enemy. An enemy who will do anything to keep us from following God. And of course, you know that I'm talking about the devil. And you know the devil's objective for each and every one of us? I think it's pretty simple. He just wants us to quit. He wants us to give up somewhere along the way and stop short of the fulfillment of God's plan. And how does he go about getting us to quit? I'll bet you this. He'll probably use people. You'll probably use people to try to get you to quit. 
I think Tim talked about this last week. That here's what the devil's going to do. He's going to raise up some Saul's in your world. You say, what do you mean by that? People who just feel it's their calling in life to make your life miserable enough that somewhere along the line you just throw in the towel and say, I'm not going to try anymore. Somewhere in between where you are and where God wants you to be, you'll experience resistance from the devil that's probably going to materialize in the form of a person. The devil will use people to convince you to quit. So God will use people to help you keep going. In the devil's hands, people make effective weapons. In God's hands, people make excellent tools. The devil will use people to hurt us, but God will use people to help us. The devil turns people into adversaries. God turns people into allies. The devil uses people to resist us. God uses people to assist us. The devil uses people to discourage us. But God, on the other hand, uses people to encourage us. The devil will use people to tear us down. But God will use people to build us up. That's why everybody needs somebody. Even you. You need people in your world who believe in you. You need a circle of friends who want you to keep following God. You need people in your life who know you and they know what you're going through. You need a group of friends who pray for you, stand up for you, and encourage you. You need people who will unselfishly invest in you so that you can become all that God wants you to be. Everybody needs somebody and somebody out there needs you. You need some people in your world like Jonathan, Michael, and Samuel to help you keep going. But you also need to be like Jonathan, Michael, and Samuel. You need to help others keep going so that they become all that God wants them to be. Did you understand that your life is full of Davids? That you're surrounded by men and, and women and children that God has a great plan for, that He intends to, to develop into something to use to some degree. They're all around you, but just like David could not have become king without the help of people, there are people in your world who will never become what God wants them to be without your help. Man, there are people that need you to step in and begin to unselfishly invest in their lives so that they can become everything God wants them to be. Everybody needs somebody and somebody needs you. So I'm going to suggest that you consider doing something. Why don't you join a team and become a good teammate? Ronnie, what do you mean by joining a team? Don't go it alone. Don't try to go it alone. I would bet that God has already placed some people in your life who are supposed to help you. I don't know who they are. But I'm assuming that there's a team that's available to you. Find them. Open up your life to them. If you don't have a relationship with them, I'd start building one. I couldn't help but notice that the people who helped David were the people who were closest to him. 
I know the way some of you think. This is what you're thinking to yourself right now. I'm not going to open up my life to anyone else because I tried that once and I ended up getting hurt. Someone treated you the way that Saul treated David. You trusted them. You loved them. You you thought they loved you. But in the end, they turned on you. They attacked you. So you've sworn. You vowed, I'll never be hurt again. So you've built a wall around yourself. And you will never allow anyone behind that wall. I know. I've been there. You know, when Lynn and I came to this church 20 years ago, I vowed I will never, ever let anyone into my world again. Nobody. Nobody. I tell you, for years, Lynn and I were the insulated couple of Golden Corner Church. Our mission was just not to let you folks into our lives. God, what we would have missed. I know how you, I know what you're thinking. Here's what I've learned. Everybody's not a Saul. Everybody around you is not a Saul. There are some good people around you who will make great teammates. And they will help you. Find and connect with your team. Be honest with people. Let them help you. You know, David ran to Samuel and he ran to Jonathan and asked them for, he asked for their help. Because he knew, I, I, can't, I can't make it alone. This wasn't a sign of weakness. You know what it was? It was a sign of wisdom. Don't go it alone. Join a team. Now, for Lynn and I, you know what that meant? For us, it meant that we joined a life group here at Golden Corner Church. And I, this is not a sermon. This is not a promotional. In other words, staff and I didn't get together and say, how can we promote life groups? How can we? No, 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 no. Listen to me. I'm just telling you for us what it meant. We joined a life group at Golden Corner Church. A couple of years ago, Lynn and I, uh, we had several families in the church that wanted to be in a life group, but we didn't have any leaders. And so God put it on our heart, Lynn and me, that we should leave our existing group and, and offer to lead a new group. That wasn't easy for us. We had been a part of our old group for seven or eight years, and we were, we were like family. We had two great group leaders, Danny and Karen Pelfrey. It was not the kind of situation you just look forward to walking away from. Matter of fact, we grieved you know, over, the, over this decision. We knew God was calling us, so we made ourselves available to these families, and we started meeting together as a new group. And it didn't take long until we began to notice something about these group members that I feel like to this day is the strength of these people and the strength of our group. And that is, uh, I really feel that everybody in the group sincerely wants to follow God. And I think that everybody in the group really wants to become what God wants them to be. And I think they want that for themselves. But I, I think they sincerely want it for everybody else in the group. And so for the past two years, we've been building relationships with a purpose. And the purpose is we're going to help each other keep going so that we all keep growing. And one of the most rewarding experiences of my life at this point in my journey is is watching this group of people evolve into a team who's there for each other, who prays for each other, who encourages each other. And you know what? Lena and I kind of went into this. I'm like, you know, we're going to invest in these people. We're going to really try to help these people you know, to become what God wants them to be. And, and you know, we're going to... You know what happened? 
These people began to invest in us. They became our team. Back in May, I found myself embroiled in a spiritual battle, very intense battle. And I don't know if it's just a man thing, but, but every time in my life when it kind of gets real and it's, it's getting tough, I've got this attitude, I can handle it. You give me enough time, whatever it is, I'll whip it. Just give me enough time, I'm capable, I'm competent. I can overcome this. Just give me a minute. Now, the deeper I got, the more I realized something. I had to be honest with myself. Not this time. I'm not, I'm not winning this battle alone. I need some people who will join in the battle with me and fight for me. So this still small voice in the back of my mind said, you got a team. You got a team that does this very kind of thing. Tell them. That's not easy. But uh, we were meeting that night, and so we came together. We had some good food. We had a lot of laughs. We told big tales. We had just the best time. And I asked him, guys, can we circle up and pray together? Can we pray for one another? Yeah, absolutely. So we circled up, and somebody said, well, I, you know, I need this. Would, some, would you, somebody pray for me? Somebody would volunteer. I'll pray for you. And then they went through it. All of a sudden, there's this long silence. I knew. Here we go. I said, guys, I'm battling something. I told them, here's where I'm at. I'm losing. And I don't think I'm going to win if I keep trying to fight this fight alone. I need your help. You know what they did? They put me in a chair, got around me, laid hands on me, and they began to pray for me. Out loud. I heard their prayers. They were weeping as they prayed for me. I could feel their prayers. Now at that moment, you know how I felt? I felt pretty doggone safe. I was surrounded by men and women who were fighting me. I felt very, very blessed. I felt loved. I felt, I didn't feel the burden leave. Oh, I felt it lighten. My question for you is this. You got a team like that? Do you have a circle of friends like that? That with one text, one phone call, the next thing you know, you've rallied a group of people to your side to help you. Because I tell you what I want. I want you to have that circle. 
I want you to have that team in your life. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it means that you do something that Lennon did. Maybe a good place to start would be a life group. I don't know But I want you to have that circle. But I don't want you to join a team just for the sole purpose of what you can get out of it. I want you to join a team so that you can be a good teammate. Which means I want you looking for ways that you can motivate and encourage other people. I want you to look for ways that you could lighten others' loads. I want you to look for ways that you can help people keep going so that they keep growing. Man, everybody needs somebody And somebody really needs you. So join a team. And be a good teammate. Let's pray together. Father, I know there are probably times when we have been so frustrated with people. Maybe times when we came to the conclusion that, you know, we'd just be better off without them. If that's where we're at this morning, I pray that you'll change our mind. help us recognize something the value the importance of people and if our doors have been closed I pray this that we'll open the doors of our life let some people in Maybe we need to open the doors of our life and step into somebody else's world. And start looking for ways to help them, to be a blessing to them. ask you God just to lead lead the folks who are here to that circle to that team they need it Lord on down the road they're going to need it thank you God Thank you for everyone along the journey who's extended a hand to each of us and helped us. Thank you for always supervising and making sure that we've got the right people in the right place at the right time so that we could just keep following you. In the name of Jesus, we, we thank you. 
Amen. Thank you for being here today. You're dismissed. Have a great week.